As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everyone, welcome back to Ghosted. I'm Aaron. I'm Paige. And yeah, we're doing a, uh, I guess, special episode? Yeah. Kind of? It's a Halloween episode. We're carving pumpkins. <laughs> so. Am I supposed to lift it? Oh, I was I late, on the, late on the drop. It's your, it's your life. I don't know. We wing it like everything else we do with our lives. Fair enough. Yeah. So, okay. So for today's episode, um, we decided to take, I guess, a detour away from our... I guess usual folklore to kind of talk about um, gothic literature, uh, but also kind of tie it into how it works with uh, folklore. There it is. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly I'm ready for this. So yeah, should we start carving and start talking at the same time? Yeah, let's see how that goes. Terrible ideas were made today. Okay. Sharp objects and Aaron on his soapbox. (laughs) All I'm saying. I actually didn't have a joke prepared for that one. Sorry. Fair enough. (laughs) So where are we we starting? Okay. So um, classic Gothic literature. Uh, Most people are familiar with the classics. um, Actually from their like movie debuts. Not Mm -hmm. necessarily so much from their actual... I guess original stories. Do people read? <laughs> no, he's on a soapbox. <laughs> wow. Um. Okay. So I guess the place to start, because it's me. Um. Dracula. <laughs> of course. It's, why? Why wouldn't we? I don't know. It's, That's fair, though. This is a good place to start. Yeah, it's yeah. Halloween. So we're also this episode we're releasing on Halloween. So it should be Halloween when you guys see and or hear this. Um, we'll find out. <laughs> Assuming everything works out right. Uh, no, so everyone's familiar with, uh, uh, Dracula. But there's a couple of interesting things about it. First off, Dracula as we know him today as the king of all vampires, the idea of Dracula being, like, the staple for vampires is kind of strange because the only reason why he's actually the, like, I guess, poster child of vampires nowadays, is literally because of Nosferatu. (laughs) I make murder. (laughs) It's it's very hard not to make noise while I'm trying to cut this. I know, right? Like, I'm trying to cut this, and I'm just like, oh, this is going to be... Let me grab a smaller one. Maybe that's... Maybe that's the play. Oh, um, no, can you not hear this? This is not... Oh, I can not... absolutely hear oh, okay. this. I don't know. I don't know how well... 
I don't think we thought this through all the way. I think I'm going to be honest with everyone. I don't think we thought this through all the way. Uh, no, so... We could just stand in front of our pumpkins. And then have the reveal. The time lapse. And <laughs> then... <laughs> pumpkins. Or jack-o'-lanterns, I guess, at that point. But... That's semantics. Okay, I'm sorry. We're still pumpkins. Oh, I was, I, I was going to keep carving. Oh, okay. Yeah, right, <laughs> I'm committed to the bit at this part. All right. <laughs> Hopefully everybody likes the sound of pumpkin carving. It's uh, ASMR, right? <gasps> I know. I hate ASMR. So anyway, uh, yes. So the history of Nosferatu all stems back to a, uh Italian movie studio wanted to... Um, they wanted to create a Dracula movie. Uh, however, they never tried to secure the rights to actually create a Dracula movie, so they just did it. Because um, <laughs> that's what you do when you want to copyright something, is you just do it. Hey, I mean, well, I mean, it was a different time, but also... Hope they got so sued. <laughs> uh, I know, but I'm saying it was, a, it was a different time, but also, you know, sometimes it's easier to ask forgiveness and permission. Uh, not this time. I know. Uh, yep, definitely not this time. I know where this is going, I understand, I'm just saying, like, sometimes that... That fits. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Page is very permissive of crimes, apparently. Uh, so, yeah, so the, the Italian movie studio, they ended up making Dracula, but they tried to do it in such a way that they were like, oh, it's Dracula, but not really, because we have a different ending. And so that's actually why, fun fact, uh, his name is Count Orloff. Mm. Not Nosferatu, for anyone who's curious. Nosferatu actually is an Italian word meaning like plague bearer or plague yeah. bringer or something like that. I Probably should have Googled this, but I didn't. So. Um, well, if you've seen the movie, I mean, it tells you what his name is. Does it? It does. Cause it, it, well, yeah, because you have to read it. But, uh, That's right. Yeah, because he's coming to buy the property. And it's like, oh, you have to meet with Count Orloff. Oh no, it's not. But also, like, I wanted to make a wish joke, like this is your this is your Dracula if you purchase off Wish, but I actually really loved Nosferatu, like especially growing up. No, I mean it's honestly it's not a bad movie. So that's the interesting thing. Um however, what ended up happening was yes, so they made their not Dracula, uh and then the Stoker family found out and super sued them for copyright infringement, which makes sense. Um, one, and then with the money that they received from that, they went and like heavily copyrighted Dracula, so that way like this could never happen again, basically. And honestly, if it wasn't for that, Dracula as we know it today would not be nearly as popular because he at the time of Bram Stoker's life and even shortly after his death it just wasn't that popular book vampire literature um it existed obviously but it just wasn't as popular as it eventually would become so Carmilla actually I wanted to say that for just a second I need to finish my first thought um <laughs> So yes, so Nosferatu happened, um, and that's actually why Count Orloff dies. Spoiler for anyone who hasn't watched a literal black and white silent movie, um, like me. Uh, so You've never seen it? I've never seen it all the way through. We literally talked about this like three weeks ago, and you were like, we have to watch well, that. when I was, I was watching it? 
Because remember, you... no, no. I think it's what led you to watch it later that night. No, was uh, it? No, because I was. I was. Whatever. It doesn't matter. That's not important. Regardless. <laughs> um. <laughs> yes. So. Uh. Yeah. After that, uh, it led to eventually Universal Studios wanting to uh, more or less make a Dracula movie, where they went ahead and they talked to the Stoker family, made an actual adaptation. Um, I never finished my spoiler. So Count Orlov dies at the end, oh, spoiler, uh, by being exposed to sunlight, because he was really about this dame, and I guess he just didn't care that the sun was coming up or something. Like, I... That's always been a problem with me. Like, you're an immortal vampire who's hundreds of years old, and you just... This one chick you're willing to get exposed to sunlight with, like... Bruh. Bruh. Plenty of fish in the sea. Come on. Um... Look, dude. If she ain't it, she ain't it. You know? That's all I'm saying on that one. You know what else is in the sea? Trash. (laughs) (laughs) Make it real and sad. Um... It was on the soapbox. Now you guys know she's the actual soapbox queen. Um, yes, because we're actually releasing this unedited. Oh no! Yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, yeah. So Universal Studios eventually comes along and ends up uh, picking up the rights from the Stoker family in order to actually make a movie. And it does fairly well. Uh, kind of really helped to propel their dark cinematic universe uh, before they tried to reboot it in the uh, late 2010s. Mm. Um, I remember that. Honestly, I feel like there's potential, but they just messed it up. Like DC. There's no hope for DC. Um, I was just saying, Batman doesn't use guns. Well, okay, that's... De- whatever. Oh. We can get on the soapbox. Okay. Um, you know what? You know what? I need justice for, or I need to have justice for, what? is Sinestro. Like I, I needed that Grand, that Green Lantern movie to do well or better than it did, so that I could have a sequel with a better Sinestro storyline. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that. I was talking to, so I was talking to one of my coworkers. And they expressed that, uh, he was a male, he expressed that, uh, he wasn't gay, but for Ryan Reynolds, he would try, um, or he could make an exception, something like that. And I was telling that to, uh, one of my brothers, and... (laughs) Sweetie. Come on. (laughs) Anyway... Uh, no, he expressed that he totally understands, and he absolutely would want to get married to Ryan Reynolds, just so that way he could passively, aggressively remind him of the Green Lantern movie for the rest of their marriage. So... But, like, he feels bad. He's apologized to Canada. Oh, I'm aware. He killed himself in Deadpool. Oh, that's so... right. Which was really funny. Um, loved that cameo. But, um, yes, so... Universal picks up Dracula, they make the Dracula movie, it does actually really well, and yeah, kind of more or less helped to revitalize, like, vampire 
I guess, fiction and mythology. Now, there's a couple of interesting points about vampire fiction and mythology uh, in vampiric literature. So, Bram Stoker, actually, he created a lot of the weaknesses that we attribute today to Bram Stoker, uh, or, I'm sorry, attribute to vampires today is actually because of Bram Stoker. Uh, the idea of, like, uh, what is it? Garlic. Mm. There's not a lot of classic actual folklore for that, um, aside from the fact that some, or it's theorized that some grave diggers would wear garlic to kind of help mask the smell of death. Mm. So, which then later got translated to, oh, well, that's, you know, that's, that's to help repel vampires. So, what, okay, maybe you'll get into this and let me know if you will. Where does the... Oh, God, I hope we didn't already talk about this. Where does the, like, having to have their their soil or, like... That's also from Bram Stoker. It is from Bram Stoker. Yep. Okay, continue. That is not... Um, so, yeah, the, the idea that a vampire has to have, like, their native soil with them in order to sleep, uh, that is Bram Stoker. That's not from... It's it. not from mythology. Um... Now, I mean, do keep in mind, too, and I, I'm pretty sure we talked about this in our first episode. Um, it's been so long. It sure has. I can't even remember everything we said. Maybe we should just reprise that episode for this. Well, a lot of things are off the cuff, so we're just going to have to live with it. But it's, continue. You know, that's fair. Um, just realized I may have made a mistake with my pumpkin idea. It's okay. <laughs> My kitty's cute. Um, no, so, with... What were we talking about? Weaknesses. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the soil thing, that came from Bram Stoker. And the reason for that is because he felt like the vampire was such, basically, an overpowered character that there really was just no way for the heroes to actually win. And he's right, to a certain extent. Um, they are. Overpower characters. That's why uh, Strahd von Zarevich is, you know, nice. a whole campaign about him. And he is, I mean, let's be honest, he's the main character in the campaign. Uh, yeah. Dark brooding vampire. Why is that always going to be brooding? He is brooding. I know he's brooding. Oh, and okay. I know why hees brooding. Yes. But I'm saying, like, why do vampires already got to be brooding? They ain't always got to be brooding. Actually, a lot of vampires from classic literature are not brooding. That's more of a, a modern trope. Modern, trip. yeah. Yeah. Um, what's it called? Carmilla. I wanted to talk about Carmilla. Oh, yeah, because there's a new movie with that coming out, too. There is, and yeah. I'm actually really curious to see, because the advertisements for it say that it's supposed to be kind of like a, uh, I guess, accurate interpretation. Mm-hmm. I'm very suspect on that claim. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> As somebody who is familiar with Carmilla, um, yeah. So Carmilla, for anyone who isn't familiar, is actually one of the earlier vampire literature and fictions. It is the story about a, uh, for the record, if you haven't read this book, I highly recommend it. We are going to spoil it here, um, at least some of it. Uh, but I highly recommend reading it. It's, it was produced, what was it, 26 years prior to, uh, Dracula? Yeah, something like that. Yeah, so it is, it does predate him, um, which makes me feel like it's so criminal how much they shaft Carmilla as a character in Castlevania. 
which for anyone who's not, <laughs> well, I guess for no one's surprise, <laughs> oh, Castlevania right, right. is one of my favorite series. <laughs> um, I, oh God, where was it? Never mind. Continue. <laughs> I can't. I can't think of it for some reason. Well, was it about Carmilla? No, it's it's about Castlevania. Castlevania. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I Symphony love... of the Night. There we go. Yes. I love Symphony of the Night. Riveting <laughs> <Everybody in> contribution. <laughs> Man, I don't know how I'd do without that. I am very concentrated on not cutting myself. <laughs> Well, that's funny. Okay. Yes, it is. <laughs> anyway, uh, yes, I also love Symphony of the Night, and so does everyone else. Oh, um, okay, I'm sorry. Well, no, it's more like, uh, hey, Sakurai, why isn't Alucard in Smash? Um, but anyway, <laughs> I'm willing to admit I'm bitter about that. Um, <laughs> oh, no, what have I done with my pumpkin? <laughs> hey! <laughs> Was this supposed to happen? It is now. <laughs> okay. Cool. <laughs> so anyway, Carmilla. Um, so Carmilla tells the story, and Carmilla didn't really try to nerf their vampires. They kept them... That was a weird way of saying kept. Um, they kept them pretty true, for the most part, to classic vampire folklore. Specifically with Carmilla. Spoiler, she's the vampire. Um, mm -hmm. And actually, I mean, I think we've talked about this before. Um, vampires originally in classic folklore are not sexy. Uh, they're not counts or countesses or ro royalty or nobility or anything like that. They are peasants. They're common folk. Uh, the idea of, like, a vampire aristocrat did not come up until Elizabeth Guthrie. Mm. For good reason. She... Right. Yeah, she did some stuff. Um... To say the least. Murder. She did a lot of murder. Uh, no, so... The idea of, like, the Count vampire kind of... it Realistically, in terms of literature, kind of started with Carmilla. So, Carmilla is a... Uh, what is she? She's a vampire, obviously. Uh, but the story is that there is... Um, Oh my god, why am I totally drawing a blank on the name of the father? I remember the daughter is Laura. Um, so there's a father-daughter duo who, uh, he is a retired English uh, general, I believe. Ex, uh, retired from the Austrian Empire. Uh, and they're living out their lives. Laura's mother passed away. And it starts kind of similar to the Dracula novel. And actually, for anyone who hasn't read the Dracula novel, it is more or less a serialized diary entry um yeah it's, a, it's more a serialized diary entry than like an actual novel uh so with Carmilla it's kind of that same thing where it's that serialized uh diary entry sort of thing it's a lot more scandalous it really is um Carmilla is Partially where we get the idea of vampires being sexy. Prior to her, they were not. Uh, you were commoners and you smelled terrible. And that's that. Uh, with Carmilla, though, honestly, like, it was really scandalous. Because aside from having a vampire uh, that was not a commoner, uh, 
there's some there's some lesbian overtones. It's not even undertones, which is really just fascinating considering the fact that it was written 1872. Right. Um, however, something to keep in mind with that is that it kind of helps to show the debauchery and just how much, I guess, away from God. <gasps> they can see them this time. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> it's a miracle. Uh, anyway, it's a Halloween miracle. There uh. we go. Uh, no, so it kind of shows like just how far away from God she is by you know playing into the tropes of homosexuality bad, which at the time yeah was kind of considered that. But then again, I mean you have like the portrait of Dorian Gray. He gay. But then again, that was also done. That's accurate. <laughs> he gay. Uh, well, at the same time, though, it was also representative of uh, more or less Dorian's fall from yeah. grace, if you will. That's true. It was done to show that he really took to uh, the debauchery and hedonism that... Was it Lord Byron? Was that... Why can I not remember this guy's name? It's been a minute since your boys read this book. I have... Oh, no. I don't have it here. I don't have it with me. It's in storage. Anyway, um, yes, so with Carmilla, she's a lesbian vampire who's kind of like seducing the young daughter, Laura, but the way that it's set up is it starts with Laura having a dream, and it's told from Laura's perspective. Uh, it starts with Laura having a dream where... She sees this girl that she recognizes, and, like, in her dream, she gets uh, allegedly, like, bitten on the breast, and she could have swore it was real and wakes up, and obviously nobody can find any injuries, nobody has any idea what's going on. So it fast-forwards to after her mother has passed away, and she and her father are living in their own little, like, solitary castle in the countryside, and, which, goals. I mean, yeah, super goals. Uh, so... Got it. Uh, <laughs> I'm stuck on that part. Um, what was I saying? Yeah, they live in the countryside. What was I saying? Yes, countryside. <laughs> and there's like a carriage accident outside of their uh, outside of their castle, where it's this mother and this uh, young girl who is named Carmilla. Uh, spoiler: She's the bad guy. And uh, the mother expresses that like. She can't really stick around or anything like that and asks uh, the father and Laura if they will watch after Carmilla while she's away on business. Not uh, sus. It was not. And especially because when she left, um, she told Carmilla not to talk about her past, not to tell any anything to anyone, and uh, then told the family that Carmilla is definitely sound of mind. Which Laura actually makes comment about and is like, mm, that seemed unnecessary. You're not wrong. Um, <laughs> but as time goes on, uh, Laura starts to have these weird nightmares, and the uh, there's several girls who end up uh, dying in the local village. Uh, girls and women. And it's a mystery. <laughs> She's making all that noise there. I'm sorry! <laughs> it's... <laughs> I'm sorry, what was that noise? Okay, thanks. That's, that's, what I was, that's what I thought. I just, I had to make sure. Uh, no, but, um, yeah, it's obviously very suspicious. Um, I'm just going to 
fast forward a bit. So at one point, there's this portrait of an old countess uh, named... Oh, gosh, what was her name? Uh, it was like... Mikarla or something like that? Not Camilla. Definitely not an anagram or almost just lazy flip it around. Nope, it was definitely not that. Um, spoiler, it turns out it is her. Uh, but they, like, find this picture and, honestly, Laura's, like, not dumb. <laughs> to be honest. Because uh, she, like, notices similarities between the picture and Carmilla. And she's like, hey, so this looks exactly like you, like, even to the mole on your neck. And Carmilla's like, must have been a relative. I don't know. Everyone else buys this. Um, <laughs> Laura mostly is, like, the voice of reason in this in this novella. Um, but, uh, yeah, long story short, they find out that, uh, yeah, no, actually, Carmilla is an anagram for uh, Mercala, the first vampire, and... That it's really been her this whole time, and there was a hero who had fallen in love with Carmilla and ended up eventually slaying her and ridding the land of all vampires, uh, aka the Belmonts. And uh-huh. <laughs> no, like straight up, Carmilla or sorry, Castlevania does take a lot of stuff from Carmilla. Um, so just so you guys know, actually, yeah, check it out. It's it's Castlevania is not just Dracula. Um, Alucard. (laughs) No, okay, I do like how they explain it now, is that it's intentionally done, and his real name is Adrian, but he chose to go as Alucard because he's the opposite of everything his father stands for. So I do like that. That is, you know, that's, that's a good... Oh man, that did not come out quite right. Uh, that's a good lore, you know? It's a good lore excuse for something... That might have been clever back in the early 90s, but definitely has lost favor with the rest of the world <laughs> since. So, yeah, about that. Uh, no, so they end up uh, they end up killing Carmilla by staking her... Uh, what, is it? what is it the deal? Uh, they find her... Honestly, there's a lot that I'm not going into with this book. I highly recommend reading it. Um, I'm just kind of giving you some small little spark notes. Uh, but the lead-up really to, like, the discovery and how to defeat Carmilla and all that, like, that's that's really where the, I guess, meat of this book is. So, uh, yeah, they end up discovering that Mikala is actually Carmilla, and they find her tomb, they stake her, they cut off her head, uh, they burn her body, then they throw the ashes into a river. And then her father, uh, Laura's father takes her on a year-long trip uh, to tour Italy so that way she could recover from the incident, both psychologically and to help her, I guess, kind of get over her traumas. Mm. But it's stated that she's never the same after, which really is something that, that like, you don't really see in a lot of modern-day, uh, I guess, vampire literature and folklore. Um, I mean, looking at Twilight, for example... Uh, Which is not going to be just me trashing on Twilight. But looking at Twilight, for example, um, the whole thing is that vampires are sexy. That you want a vampire BF. uh, Let's be honest, probably GBF. But still, you want a vampire BF. um, And vampire life is dope. 
Whereas, obviously, the classic literature was very much the, the opposite, where it was like, <laughs> nope, this is terrible. You don't want to be a vampire. You don't want to interact with vampires. They literally will kill you. Oh, that was also another interesting thing about Carmilla, is that they have their own Van Helsing, basically. A doctor who left uh, orthodox medicine to go and discover, I guess, more or less metaphysical medicine. Um, now, the difference here is that Dr. Van Helsing... Never less traditional medicine. He just practices, like, metaphysical medicine on, on the side, basically. But, again, if it wasn't for both Dracula and Carmilla, we would not have the modern interpretation of vampires are sexy. Because, remember, Count Dracula represented this, like, suave, diplomatic, aristocrat from some far-off land coming in, wooing your women, and having the money to back it up. Again, as we talked about before, vampires, no investment banking. I feel like that's a hurtful stereotype. I still love it. <laughs> um, I also, I love the word wooing. Wooing. Wooing? Wooing. That's, okay. Did I say wooing? You said wooing. Did I say Not womb. No, wooing. I didn't say womb. I said... Sorry, I'm very focused on this. Why? I can tell. <laughs> No, I was asking if I said wooing. I can't You remember. did. You said wooing your women. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> like 30 seconds ago. <laughs> I mean, me? There's a lot of editing that takes place. Normally, here, so. yes. Yeah, about that. We, we're taking a short, short break. That might be good. Yeah. I might have just screwed myself on this. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Short break. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> that was not a smooth transition. Anyway, uh, no. So, yeah, that's kind of Carmilla. But there is also another classic, um, I guess, gothic literature monster that eventually became a movie, which is... Frankenstein. There we are. <laughs> I'm great at this. Uh, no, so Frankenstein, for anyone who's not familiar with it, I don't know how you cannot be, but um, for, well, I guess everyone is familiar with Frankenstein's monster. Uh, the green skin guy with the bolts in his neck and the flat top, or the dad from Everybody Loves Raymond, if you like the Mel Brooks version. Oh, yeah, I love I that do. movie. Um... We actually got to see that in theaters once. It was nice. Yeah. They had like a retro showing. It was cool. Anyway, um, so Frankenstein, uh, people have this idea of Frankenstein's monster as kind of this just like dumb green thing that just wanders around and afraid of fire, Hulk smashes everything. But that is actually not how the story goes. The story is actually told from the perspective of Frankenstein's monster, who is currently on a ship talking to a captain uh, in pursuit. No, was it Frankenstein that was telling the story? 
It's probably Frankenstein. I'm totally drawing a blank right now. It's been years since I read this novel. Point is that no, they found prepared. they found somebody on the Arctic at the end of the story. Anyway, <laughs> you guys get to see Paige fact check me now. <laughs> see, we're just we're just satisfying. I'm doing this intentional, just that way they know what it looks like. Mm. What I have to go through, the look she gives me, mm. she hurts me. Um, whatever. So, she beats me when you're not around. Um, no, what was I saying? Yes, so... Was it the perspective of the monster or perspective of... Anyway. Uh, no, so the monster itself is very intelligent. It's very well read. He ends up becoming, no pun intended, more than the, than the sum of his parts, essentially. He becomes very educated, like Dr. Frankenstein wanted. More or less, Dr. Frankenstein created, well, tried to create a man, and he realized that the man that he created was a monster. And so he kind of took this stance of, what have I done? And he tries to, like, separate himself from the monster and, like, all this nice and jazz. But the monster is basically like, no, senpai, you're going to notice me, or else I'm going to be tsundere af. So, wow. I'm, am I wrong? No. Yeah, exactly. So he ends up just more or less trying to strike revenge on Dr. Frankenstein the entire, the entirety of the book. Um, which, I mean, if we look at, and actually it was really interesting, the way that we got this story was actually from Mary Shelley and a couple of friends were on holiday during the uh, year without a summer, which for anyone who's not familiar with that, I would recommend looking that up. Uh, basically, long story short, it is a year where there was a volcanic eruption that threw so much pyroclasmic stuff into the atmosphere that it lowered uh, global temperatures. So, I so think I both. might... What's both? It's both. What's both? It's both. By, it's told by both narratives. Is it told yes. by both narratives? Oh. Okay, well, it's been a minute. Um, but anyway... I haven't read it since, like, geez. <laughs> Well, there you go. Um, when did I last read it? A couple of years ago. In this is where we are? What? Nothing. Continue as you were. <laughs> I at least have an excuse. <laughs> anyway. Uh, no, so... Um, God, I totally got sidetracked. Yes, so it was a scary story contest. And uh, she ended up winning. They, they all voted that her scary story was the scariest. So after she came back home from holiday, they, well, she ended up writing it down and they got it published. And that's how we have it as an actual story. Um, now, the Universal Monster movie does not follow the source material, like, at all. You have a couple things that, yeah, it's the same, but it's really not that close. Not nearly as close as uh, Dracula was. Which, then again, I mean, that was part of the licensing agreement was like, okay, well, if you want to do Dracula, that's fine, but you're doing Dracula, you're not doing Nosferatu. So they were like, yeah, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do Dracula. Um, <clears throat> and I'm guessing that was not the same for the Shelley estate, I guess. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it did not, did not follow the story quite as well. Uh, because, you know, they, they make... Dr. Frankenstein's monster out to essentially be a moron the entire time that's just running around fire, bad Hulk smash. That's 
pretty much it. And then, I mean, honestly, okay. So something else about most classic Gothic literature that you really don't hear in today's thing is most Gothic literature is very romantic. It's it's very emotional. And this is actually sometimes, uh, this is the reason why sometimes it's referred to as Gothic romance novels. Um, they, they are, they're more or less love stories at the root of them. Um, again, Carmilla was a lesbian. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein was going to get married. Oops. Um, <laughs> don't shun your children, I guess, that were made from dead, dead people? I guess. Uh, Dracula, I mean, Mina, the whole woman in white, the, I mean, Dracula himself really loves women. That's why he has three wives at home that he abandons. Um, <laughs> because they're touched up on and then never again. I've always been curious what happened to him after he left Transylvania. I was just been really curious about that. He sent letters and monies. Uh, that's really okay. So the, I mean, yeah, the story of Dracula really—it's—it's. It's, I know we touched about this a minute ago. It's like diaries mixed with letters. It's a really interesting, I guess, written material. I would highly recommend reading it, obviously. Um, and that's not just because I'm pretentious, uh, but you know, I am pretentious. So, you know, take that how you will. Uh, that was another one too, is actually, um, uh, I know that it's not a classic, classic novel, but they did with the early Universal monster movies, they did try to incorporate this, uh, element of romance. I mean, The Mummy, both Brendan Frasians and the originals, mm -hmm. both of them were honestly love stories. Uh, the third make of it for the dark verse... I feel like that's kind of part of where they went wrong with it. Because again, the mummy at its core is a love story. Um, I, I really didn't feel a love story in the, the most recent iteration. Also, the random Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde in the middle of that was not a great cameo. I just didn't get it. Uh, I don't think I know what you're talking about. Have you not seen? Like, they made... When did that, when did that movie come out? 2018, maybe? There's like a, a a mummy remake in like 2018 oh, or 2000. Oh, Tom Cruise? Yes, that's oh, yeah. the one. No, I didn't see that. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, I'm going to because we all know how much I love, like, not just the mummy, but also Egypt and Egyptian mythology and all that. Um, yeah, it had like nothing not, to do with any of that. Uh, <laughs> it's not Brendan Fraser, though. So, not interesting. I mean, I guess that's fair. I also love Brendan Fraser, but, you know, can't always be Brendan Fraser. And that's why Paige stopped loving me. Mm. That was the phrase. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know we're not cutting this. Why are you doing this hey, to what, us? What do you want from us? <laughs> anyway, so, uh... He just laughs. What, what am I supposed to do with this information? <laughs> Okay. okay. Anyway. Cool. <laughs> no, so, um, gosh, there's another one that was on my mind. Yeah, so a lot of this classic Gothic literature, uh, I, I feel like a lot of people really misinterpret it a lot of times. Um, mostly because, like, they, they apply... They apply more or less modern interpretations onto it. Um, mm. I mean, the, the portrait of Dorian Gray. 
talked about that a moment ago at, by name only. Um, a lot of people view that as like Oscar Wilde's like coming to terms of his own homosexuality. No, he came to terms with that a while ago. This was just expressing things. Um, but if you look at th look at it through the lens of the time, I mean, we're talking about a time period where sexual orientation and sex in general were both very repressed. Um, so having themes of homosexuality was not done in a form to entice, and it wasn't like it wasn't gay baiting like we have today, or even like gay coding characters, because we just don't have those anymore. We didn't have those necessarily back then. It more or less was from a Christian perspective. Uh, well, I should say a old school Christian perspective. It was done in a way to show more or less the debauchery and the downfall of these individuals. Again, Carmilla was a lesbian. That's important. Fascinating though. Not only is she a lesbian, she also had a male lover uh, back when she first turned into a vampire, but she's been a vampire for so long now that she's so disconnected from God that, yeah, she's a lesbian now. Um, it shows more or less her fall from grace. Uh, that was another thing that in the novel for Carmilla, they, they do, anytime Laura and her family prays, um, she does not join them for the prayers. She also sleeps most of the day. And there was a funeral procession for one of the girls that ended up dying in the uh, accompanying village town thing. And Laura obviously says like a prayer as the procession passes by her house. And Carmilla scolds her and tells her to stop because the sound of it is hurting her ears. So we have these interpretations nowadays where they're like, oh, it meant that like the author was trying to get you cool with the man on man or woman on woman crowd. No, it doesn't. It's showing you from that perspective. I think a lot of times what happens uh, in most modern versions of interpretations, not just of classic literature, but of, of folklore and fantasy and all of that, uh, mythology, that's what I was looking for, folklore and mythology, <laughs> together as a team, uh, through folklore and mythology, a lot of times we have these modern interpretations or spins that we put on them that just don't necessarily make sense from the perspective of the people who wrote them. Uh, I know that I talked about this before on the Egypt episode, um, the idea of Anubis being the god of the dead. Well, yeah, there's some validity and there's some truth to that. He is a god of death. However, keep in mind too that he is black, which black was the color of life within Egyptian culture. And not just that, but he... He is not the taker of life, he is the giver of eternal life. He sits at the end with an ankh to give you eternal life upon passing. That's not a god of death, that's a god of life after death. Some people say semantics, I don't. I, I feel like, well, I mean, we've seen this with early, early renditions of Egyptology. They really went ham on the idea of, okay, how do we put a Christian perspective on... Egyptian mythology. Absolutely. So, and we do that even now with with modern fiction and, and fantasy. Uh, I mean, again, the Twilight series. And I know that I reference this multiple times, but... It's, it's, it's happening again. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it, it really... It's like the main novel that really romanticized uh, vampirism 
because even uh, Anne Rice's interview with a vampire, oh, yeah. yeah, the whole series, yes, there's some romanticization of vampires, but it's not to the same extent. So, kind of looking at a difference between those two, Anne Rice, uh, she wrote hers. I, I'm not sure if anyone is familiar with the story of her interview with the vampire series. She actually uh, wrote them from a very sad place. She had just lost a child. Um, and, you know, she kind of did this as a means to help her cope and help her to come to terms with it, which personally, like, I, I think that's fantastic that she was able to channel her, her grief into such creativity. Um, however, in it, she, she romanticizes the power of the vampire. vampire. She, she romanticizes the allure of being a vampire, but she never outright is like, oh, I want to date a vampire, or a werewolf, or have a weird bat-wolf three-way. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's just not the same. Whereas with the Twilight series, it is very much so about, oh, well, they're really not that bad. They're just super misunderstood. Except for the bad ones. They're that bad. Which, again, it's, it's a difference between romantic fantasy and power fantasy, essentially. So... Are we out of time? Oh, then stop doing things. Um, oh, we are? Well then. <laughs> well, so my final note here is one, um, Paige is very well behaved when she has something to occupy her hands. Mm. Um, apparently we need to get you a fidget spinner. Wow, uh, second I am a fit. Hold on. <laughs> You did, like, not interrupt me, like, at all. This has been, like, a whole hour of just me talking and you interjecting, I think, all of, like, three times. Continue. <laughs> anyway, uh, no, so again, in classic gothic romance, the horror elements and the horror tropes really stand out. Can you actually hand me a wipe real quick? Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the horror is really the main focus for, like, the general, but at the end of it, it does, thank you, come down to, honestly, just a romance novel. It really is a story about people in love. Um, again, they explore the themes of uh, debauchery. I mean, going back to the portrait of Dorian Gray for a second, uh, in it, Dorian's accomplice that ends up teaching him about hedonism is so disgusted with just how far Dorian has come that he's terrified at the prospect of Dorian seducing his daughter. And it's like, well, sorry, buddy, you made this monster. And of course, Dorian eventually ends up becoming disgusted in his, in himself and his own actions and cannot stomach the idea of even looking at what he's become through the portrait. So it's not like classic Gothic literature is not necessarily done in the same way that we see uh, modern uh, I guess, gothic literature or gothic fantasy, however you want to describe it. It's done through a more or less a cautionary tale. It's almost like Dr. Faust, but maybe a little more romantic? <laughs> a little less Satan? Yeah. Okay. A little less Satan. So, yes. I think that is... Is this one mine? Yeah. Okay. Are we lighting these? Yeah. Can you light it in there? Yeah. Why wouldn't I? Because I don't burn my arm, which I am. 
Ah, I got it. You can just burn it and then like throw it in there. Like a Molotov? Yeah. <laughs> okay, cool. Sounds I'm like a plan. you get it. Okay, yes. No, so thank you everyone for joining our uh, Halloween spooktacular. Um, we hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, yeah, we decided to do something new and something fun and something special for the holiday. So hopefully you'll like it. Here's the reveal. Oh, are we not holding? Oh, I'm just them. getting it. I got little hams. <laughs> Happy Halloween! Happy Halloween. <laughs> Oh, are we not waving? Oh, I... I (laughs) (laughs) Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. As always, we greatly appreciate you guys listening. Stay connected with us by checking out our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at GhostedQQ. Also, check out our Patreon to become one of our phantoms, where you can get early access to episodes, private Discord, and more. Find us at patreon.com forward slash GhostedQQ. And don't forget to like, comment, subscribe wherever you listen to our podcast. As always, I'm Aaron. And I'm Paige. Stay spooky. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.